lights down Hand over my crown Hand over my heart I do this for my town I do this for my crowd So turn me up real loud My time, my time None of you people can tell me to stop Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of MGR Unplugged. Today I'm so excited that I have Anthony Doc Amin back with me. Um, I'm not sure you guys remember that we actually recorded a podcast about a year ago now where he uh, shared with us his story of uh, his tour in uh, Afghanistan and it was very intense and uh, I definitely recommend that you guys go back and look for it and listen to it. That was no video, it was just an audio podcast, but it was super, super intense. I really loved that time and since then he and I have been hanging out together as much as possible, uh, even during this COVID interruption. So, welcome, my friend. Thanks for you? having me back. I'm doing good. It's good, man. Thanks for it's having good. me back. It's appreciated. How was, uh, how you sleep last night, man? Huh? Or, uh... You know, I slept good. I slept good. Um, it's just weird times we're in right now, but I feel like, uh, I feel like everyone's waiting for, A, the election to pass us, and B, I, I just feel like... Uh, the world, not just America, but the world over, is ready for this thing to to to, to normalize again. And, and this be is us. this is a year that I don't think obviously anybody expected when we were all celebrating 2020. You know, we all had. The, I mean, I remember even you and I were talking about 2020 is going to be a great year, and it was building up to be a great year. And then all of a sudden, when COVID happened, I I am the first one who underestimated what COVID was going to be. I mean, I when I first started saying, "Oh, China, this or that, and all that stuff," I I said, all right, it'll go away. In, in fact, I had a podcast with David, and uh, I was saying, oh, we'll get a thousand cases, and then it'll be history. Pretty much like Trump, <laughs> which is not a good thing. But uh, anyways, six months later, we're still fucking dealing with the COVID shit and all that stuff, but it's so upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then on top of that, we have elections, and we have this, and we have all this politics going on, and you said every country. I mean, I... I hate it. You know? Even the even the crazy weather all over the globe. You got hurricanes, yeah. tornadoes, floods, fires. I mean, it's just it's intense and it's nonstop. I feel like once we feel like things are getting better, something else is like <laughs> major headline, and and something else happened, or another riot, or another looting took place. And yeah, yeah, yeah that exactly. And then and, on top of that, we had the the Black Lives Matter movement that came after a couple of well, a few examples of uh, yeah. police brutality and all that stuff. So. I think everybody is very edgy these days. Oh yeah, for uh, for good reasons too. I mean, when you when you all of a sudden you have a perfect job and then you get furloughed or laid off or whatever for no apparent reason, or businesses that are doing very well are forced to shut down just because the government says you're not an essential business. We need to shut down and you have no customers. I mean, that's tough. You know, it's sure. tough for and a lot as of a people. business owner and as a father of four, I feel like I've been I've been tested very much uh, yeah. with how am I going to react with empathy or compassion or sympathy for others around me, whether it's my own family members, um, both my immediate family and surrounding family. And, you know, my family's mixed politically. So we've got some Democrats, we've got some Republicans and, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm the little guy on the fence. That's like, okay, sounds good. Okay, yeah. sounds good. I know. I'm you trying not to, to get in arguments. Uh, honestly, I mean, I, I uh, normally I'm more conservative and also on the Republican side, but really, I, I like, you know, action. I like, uh, you know, results basically. Sure. So when it comes to results, I don't really care who provides them as long as they are consistent. And and the thing that frustrates me is that not just in the US, but also when I, I, I do actually read and you know follow 
what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, obviously, my background is European, and I have family in Spain and friends all over the world stuff. So I really follow like what's happening in England and Spain and France, Italy, and all these countries. Well, plus you're a business owner. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, and you have international and I, businesses. And I have a lot of customers, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so honestly, the 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 commonality between this is that there's no commonality. Everybody's saying something different. Everybody's taking different resolutions. It looks like politicians are taking over epidemiologists and people that are more experts in the medical field and they just have their own agenda to make resolutions that are good for their own agenda or their own political aspirations or goals more than what is good for the health of people, you know. And 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 then people are starting to get worn out with this meandering thing of, oh, we need to do this like in the beginning. Oh, wash your hands 20 seconds and do this and don't touch anything and you know, all that stuff, and then masks are not needed, it's just for medical professionals and all that shit, and all of a sudden masks are the thing, and yeah. social distancing, and then, and then you see all these inconsistencies from different, even in the U.S., different governors that, you know, again, some governors are more liberal and say, okay, we can do this, some others say, oh, no, no, we're going to do this, uh, we're going to shut down everything. Sure. Uh, I mean... It's, <laughs> it's annoying. It's, 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 it's really it's, annoying. That's yeah. when you start losing faith in those guys that you've put in power to make decisions right, people that you. we voted in. Right. At least for the voting... If, at least for those of us that do vote, there's a good portion of American citizens that don't vote because they just, they don't give a they shit. They're so, yeah, they're I so know. over the bullshit. I know. And that's the thing, that's the thing that is happening now. I'm that trying to work on my cousin too. So sorry, mom. <laughs> no, we, we don't censor anything here so we don't have beeping uh, technology yeah. so you say fuck fuck goes <laughs> anyways or whatever you say but no I mean seriously the, the thing is and, and, and we're getting a little more into elections now and, and, and this conversation by the way is going to be meandering all over the place so try to keep up and follow us but uh, uh, the elections are in six weeks or so uh, November 3rd and I think we're totally, like what 49 or 50 days yeah, out yeah 50 days and frankly, I haven't seen, I'm kind of in my 50s now, mid-50s, and I've been through a lot of elections in different countries, different places. I'm being in an election where I'm so disappointed with all candidates, <laughs> with the two that we have here for sure. It's just fucking crazy. I mean, seriously, yeah. you have one that is bad and the other one is like not much better, you know? And I don't say which one is which, but just that's right. the fact, you know? Right. It's like we have two guys. One is going to be 78 by the time he's selected, if he's selected. The other one is 72, 73, or 74, whatever. Uh, he's like a freaking wreck moving on two legs. And he's like, what, what the fuck? Is this the guys that we want to lead our country? And then uh, uh, it's, it's so frustrating, you know? It's like you're trying to vote for the lesser of two evils, and, and you don't know. I mean, you have to decide, but it's like, what do we do? You know, I don't think that you have the hardcore Republicans who are going to vote for Trump no matter what. And then the hardcore Democrats will just vote for Biden no matter what. And then you've got and then you've got a select few that are conservative mindset, but they don't like Trump. So I right. feel like uh, those individuals would l rather take the risk on voting Biden in right. and not allowing the Senate to sway towards the left and, 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 and basically keep the Senate on the Republican side right and take the uh take the risk by voting in joe biden and then hoping that he doesn't overhaul and completely dismantle everything trump's done right look i don't want to get too much more into this because you know it's frustrating i lost a leg for this country as mm -hmm. some of the viewers and yourself know and uh you know i i feel like everyone has a right to say something right but i feel like the way in which they're they're sharing their opinions their frustrations 
you know, social media, sure, it's an outlet for a lot of people, but I feel like it's a negative outlet. It and is. It's, it, it should be topic. more on a, on a positive, uh, a positive note. But again, for me, I was raised conservative, and I, I kind of lean on the Republican side of the of things, and um, I do very much have um, a lot of lenience and flexibility with liberal uh, mm-hmm. uh, social issues. Right. You know, and I feel th- I feel like. Um, this country was founded a long time ago and some of these social issues weren't really a part of society. Whereas now, because we live in such a mixed society, you know, especially Americans Mm -hmm. that over the last couple hundred years, some of those issues have very much, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Race to the surface. Yeah. That rose to the surface. Right. And so since they have, I, I like to vote on social issues and um, I see both sides of the fence on those. But with regards to just how we overall get things done, um, I'm a little bit more aggressive on the conservative side just because that's how I was raised. Well, and it's just what I it's Yeah, what I no, believe. and I agree. I'm, I'm basically the same way. I, I, I was raised in a three, four generations of military families. So I have that kind of conservative side and, and uh, very disciplinary and, uh, you know, just, just getting things done. But what is disappointing is that uh, it, it looks like there's no everybody's uh, like instead of all coming together to to solve a problem it's like you know i always make this analogy like okay you have a boat that is sinking this is not the time to start arguing whose fault it is you know let's just fucking save the boat first it's a the, the best <laughs> you know? there's two words that come to my mind right now we live in a divided democracy. Yeah. It's very much a democracy, but it's very much divided. And that is the problem that we don't even care. Like, let's say you're a liberal and let's say I'm a conservative. Say something about anything. Anything. Okay, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it shouldn't be that way. I know. I it know. Should, and that's how it is. Yes, exactly. And that's when social media and the uprising oh, yeah. and the looting and the social, oh, it's just, it's too much. It's too much. No, exactly. And then people are starting to... Uh, and, Sorry, and, mom. And, and, that's, and, and that's just getting... Uh, it's, it's like throwing up even more and more because, like I said, I mean, we're right now in a time where we're saying, okay, forget about our personal issues. Let's try to save this boat. And then we can work on our differences or whatever, but right now we're all thinking, so it's not about being right, it's about doing the right thing. And, and when, when we are in the US thinking and the rest of the world is thinking, it's like each country is pulling in their own direction and then in the US we have multiple directions and sure. everybody's trying to pull because it just so happens that we have elections here. Uh, other countries don't have elections this year, so they can work on their own political divide or whatever and, and do whatever they can, but uh, in our case, as we get closer, let's let's put it this way: If this was a normal election year, like four years ago, we'll, we'll be talking elections and debates and all that stuff for the, since the beginning of the year. But now it's more convenient to have the news be more about the COVID situation and the and the the way each um, party is pulling in their own direction or in their, for their own interest, even for rescue packages and all the stuff. I mean, it's like Americans are losing their jobs. Americans don't have a job. They don't have money. You're telling them not to work, but at the same time, they don't have any money. And people in the workforce, look, I've, uh, being a part of a nonprofit organization, you know, uh, and, and we don't need to go, go talk about too much work, but you have, you have people in the corporate world. You got people that work for small businesses and, and, and on a board of directors, you've got such a mixed, diverse group of people. 
and everyone's in their own little bubbles. Right. Everybody. Right. And not just them, but their employees and their staff and their coworkers and their friends and families, even even church uh, churchgoers. You know, I'm a part of technically two churches, and I feel like a lot of individuals are getting squirrely. Men, women, children, everybody's affected by this thing, and no one knows really what's going on. And it's just it's a very interesting time to be a part of society. Yeah, well, what is what is equally frustrating is the fact that we all did everything that we were told to do. Like when this thing started, like. Uh, officially um, and it's still not good, good enough is that what you're gonna yeah like like we started in march getting a little more serious about this and then finally they said okay we're gonna have in certain areas confinements and everybody was kind of uh stay home all that stuff wear your mask all the time and we were basically playing by the rules for the most part most people were doing that and only going to major you know like like essential tr- um, outings of going to a store, you were an essential worker going to work or this or that. Oh, yeah. But we're doing everything by the book. And then it turns out that it didn't matter. Basically, we're back pretty much as far as numbers to where we were before, thinking, okay, well, all of a sudden, this person that is making $12, $13 an hour is an essential worker. And you can go to the store, and that person now is, our life depends on that person being there. Sure. You know, because if we go to a store and the store is closed, because like, if they make my business close and I'm a laundromat or whatever, and I'm not an essential business, and they close my business, they tell me, no, you cannot open a restaurant, You know for what example. a pet peeve of mine is right now? Yeah. And I actually just saw it just a little bit ago at a store. I was running errands just before I uh, came came here. And I, I saw a gentleman walking into a store without a mask, so he put his hand over his mouth. Yeah. Okay. But then I, I didn't mean to look, but it was interesting that he wasn't wearing a mask and no one called him out on it. But right. I was... In my mind, I would like to call them out on it, but I don't work at the store. I'm not a manager, right. so it's not my place. And plus, based on demographics, I chose to keep my mouth shut, right? Mm-hmm. However, the same gentleman, uh, as he's walking in the store covering his mouth, he uses his hand that was covering his mouth, whether he has COVID or not, right. or coronavirus, he grabs like a, uh, like a bottle of uh, spaghetti sauce right, yeah. with his hand. And then he uses his other hand to cover his <laughs> mouth and walks out and then pays that way. Well, his hands were right over his mouth the right. whole time. And right. it's just, even if COVID or no COVID, that's just, it's just gross. I it's, mean, it's gross. You, you shouldn't do that. I mean, it's like many of the things that said, okay, you need to wash your hands. Okay. Well, people normally wash their hands, you know, uh, but, but even, even when, when we follow the rules and then you realize that then they start saying, I remember specifically when it was Memorial Day back in, at the end of May, when they said, okay, we're going to start... It's going to spike. Yeah. We're going to see the spike on Memorial Day, but then they said, okay, we're going to start opening the economy again, the reopening. Okay, well, the worst is over and all that stuff. And then we started having the summer and everybody going to the... And then Labor Day just took place. Right. Labor Day. So if it spikes again, we're in bad, right. we're in bad and, company. And then it's like... But they already decided that, oh, we're not going to lock down the country again. And that's actually not just the U.S. All all, all of our countries are saying lockdown is not going to work. Why? Because at the end of the day, when you shut down the economy, there are other unintended consequences that are far worse than what the COVID may may, may Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. So you have friends and clients all over the globe. Mm -hmm. Who... Who have you talked to that's hit worse? Like what countries got it really bad right now? Oh, well, Spain for one is the worst country as far as number of cases in Europe. It wasn't like that. Obviously, Italy was the one that was heavily pounded. As far as deaths, Italy in Europe is the highest country. Right, sure. Because they were the first one to have COVID. They were completely unprepared. And uh, and also the culture is very much how you can see together and all that stuff. And then uh, and they also the average of the uh, age of the population is older. So a lot of older people 
uh, died. So as far as number of deaths, Italy was hit the hardest. Uh, so the, the, the cases to death ratio in Italy was higher. Now as, now, as far as number of cases, Spain is the highest in Europe, followed by, I think, France, England, and then Italy, and then you go down to Germany and all that stuff, and other countries, Belgium and Holland and all that stuff. But basically, if, if you look at the curve, Europe was like two, three weeks ahead of the U.S., it's like it, it, it moved, you know, from east to west. And uh, so Europe got the cases uh, heavily before the U.S. And then the U.S. started getting serious. And then um, then Europe started recovering. And then the U.S. started recovering. And now the, U the Europe is falling back into the second wave or whatever, where they are thinking now, um, well, England or, or the U.K. already said they're going to have uh, specific lockdowns in certain areas. Spain is doing the same thing. I was just reading this morning that Madrid may have, which is the capital, they said, instead of locking down the entire city, we're going to have certain areas that are high exposure or high cases locked down. Oh, wow. You know, so, so it's not the whole country. It's no, just certain parts certain of the areas, country are going right. to be more secure well, Because than it's the same that thing. I, I think, I think like here in Arizona, I think we've been very lucky. I mean, Arizona has a lifestyle that is very spread apart. Obviously, you compare Arizona or Phoenix, to, for that matter, with New York City. We're completely different. You know, Though I'm not surprised that New York City was one of the most or if not the most because everything's so compartmentalized right. and people are so much closer everything to everything in new york is yeah. very is a very density population every like especially manhattan and all these areas that are very dense a lot of population is more space uh life is more together and, and shopping and everything here we're all spread out sure you know so i mean if you don't want to you don't run into another human for a while I mean, you can go walking down the street and especially when the summer came then nobody goes out anywhere because it's hot um you know, our lifestyle is, is very different than the way people live in other places of the country. So it doesn't make sense to lock down the entire country when you have one area that is really in bad shape and the rest of the country is kind of like, yeah, you can control it a little better, you know? Sure. I was going to say too that uh, one of my, another pet peeve of mine is people that are saying that this is a hoax. Now, look, I have oh, a medical, I have a medical background in, in, you know, in healthcare over 15 years and veteran advocacy and all that stuff. So when I hear people when I hear people say, oh, it's just a hoax, this isn't real, this isn't real, you know, after the elections, it's all going to go away. Okay, well, what about the rest of the world? It's yeah. very much a real, yeah. you know, virus. It's I, just... I, I also, I mean, there's a lot of people that have a lot of conspiracies because conspiracies feed each other and they, they like to kind of think that there's always something behind. I'm not obviously believing that this is a hoax or anything. Now, the, the real question is whether this was an accident or if he was... Uh, provoked, or if it was man-made, or if it was natural. In the beginning, they said it was a wet market. Uh, that you know. I uh, personally feel, and now this is just me, and I'm not a conspiracist either. Um, but I do feel that this was, uh, again, I personally. Well, feel, no, I'm going to give you my opinion after this. So okay, go okay, good. Yeah, my opinion is that it was uh, it was China made. Mm -hmm. uh, it was man-made for the intent of. Uh, of what it's done, but I don't. I think that it got out of hand very well, quickly, uh, pretty much, and it was yeah. like a rapid fire all over the globe. I don't think it was intended for a global issue. I think it was right. intended for us. I, I actually, me. I actually agree with you on that. I mean, I agree that forget the fucking wet Mark excuse on the bats and all that shit. I mean, that's happened before on the movie. Contagion. I mean, look at Ozzy Osbourne. He he yeah. bit the head head off of a bat on stage, and <laughs> yeah. he's still alive and he's doing good. Right. So I Crazy I train. I think that yeah, I think the market, the wet market issue on the bat and all that shit is fucking excuse i think this was lab made and it's kind of proven actually uh, i think it wasn't intended to escape from the lab 
I also think that this happened way before we think it happened, like it happened maybe as, as early as October last year, and it finally in the Wuhan area, and it finally got out of hand, and the Chinese were trying to keep tabs over the whole fiasco thing until they had no chance. There were doctors that were raising their red flags saying, hey, we saw this happening, and those doctors miraculously, uh, casually just dead, died um, of COVID or whatever, So, or they were killed. So I think this was something that was super in a lab, I escaped the lab, and then the Chinese never communicated to the rest of the world, hey, we had a lab accident or whatever, and then this may happen, and that by the time they realized, oh, we don't have a choice, it was too late, it mm-hmm. already has spread. They were, they were basically people from Wuhan stopped traveling. That's why Italy got so bad, because they had to travel, they had people from, from Wuhan, from the lab, traveling for different business reasons to, that's one thing that Trump did very well, actually. He shut down the borders with China or basically flies or anything from China at the end of February, February 29th, March 1st. And that actually saved us from having much more spread or sooner spread than we had. So that's one thing that he gets, he gets credit for because they weren't coming to the, to the U.S. and they ended up going to other European cities instead. And then that's what happened to Europe, that they got it sooner. So, But at the same time, if you remember, it took the WHO like a lot of time to declare this a pandemic, meaning that it's global as opposed to localized because they knew it was China and all that stuff, but they didn't declare a pandemic until way later because they were kind of protecting China. And just a couple of things to touch on too, and then maybe we can talk about something else because yeah. I honestly don't know too much about about it other than what I'm sharing with you. I don't watch the news. It's a product. That's good for you, yeah. Well, I'd say about two years ago, a productivity hack for me. I like, you know, I'm always busy. I got a lot of multi, I got multiple projects I'm always working on. And, you know, for me personally, a productivity hack was don't watch TV anymore. Just wipe that off your schedule. Mm -hmm. And so it saves me that much time every day, every evening. uh, And I can either read a book or do something that's gonna, you know, benefit me as a, as an entrepreneur. Uh, But I do know what I know from talking with people like you at the coffee shops or wherever I'm at. Um, what you said you, uh, you read and, and I was going to ask you, I'm most active on social media on Twitter just because like, I'm, I never liked Twitter, it, all the hashtags and the ats and you have, you yeah. have to figure things out. So like, it was kind of a challenge to me and I feel like I mastered LinkedIn. Facebook's just getting stale. It's been getting stale for a long time. Yeah, yeah. That's why they keep changing it and they want it to survive. And that's why Zuckerberg keeps buying uh, WhatsApp and Instagram and whatever else is out there that he can get his hands on because he knows it's going stale. But anyway, I try to just... What did you say yesterday? So when you get into social media, it's... Oh, touch and go. You you call it touch and go. You do your thing and then you're done. And I call it look and leave. I look and then I leave. Yeah. Um, Where where are you getting your readings since you um, watch the news? I get my news... Well... I don't watch news on TV. I read a lot of the, in the internet. So my routine usually is um, either early in the morning or in the evening after dinner. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. Sometimes I have programs in the background. I watch a lot of documentaries and things on YouTube, stuff like that that I like. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a big race fan and all that stuff. So I, I watch a lot of documentaries on car stuff and things like that, you know. And we can get into that later. But normally what I do is I take my, my laptop or something and I do I do like to scan what the media is saying around the world, not just in the US. Because I like to see what other countries think about us. And it's funny because other European countries think that they are not so bad because we're they think that we're doing very bad. You know, so they use us as a as a as a benchmark. A scale kind yeah. Of? Like a benchmark saying 
oh, the U.S. is the worst country. They have the worst number of cases on everything. Like, we're really dying here. And, and, and look at the political people, candidates that are... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they like yeah, to say, we're fucked here, but they, look at the U.S., the number one country in the world that are even more fucked up than we are. It's like, okay, well, that's not true, really. I mean, even when you do the, the absolute versus relative numbers based on the fact that we're about 350 million people here almost, you know, when you compare numbers to numbers and apples to apples, we're not doing as bad as you guys are with a country with 50 million people, you know, so cases and all that stuff. But but aside from that, which is just numbers and shit, the, the common denominator from all the media is that they all highlight the negativity, and that's just a business model. I mean, if, if, if the media, and I'm talking the major newspapers of every European country, whether it's the equivalent of the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever major newspaper that is national circulation we have in the U.S., and you go to Spain, France, Italy, Germany, whatever, um, you read those, you read the headlines, and then you start kind of discarding the extreme bad, the extreme good, and then you say, okay, the truth is somewhere in the middle. So I kind of scan it, but the truth is that there's negativity always rules. And that's something that you learn. It's, I actually yeah. grew up, or my first professional jobs were actually in news. Believe it or not, I worked for CNN back uh, a long time ago, and then uh, a lot of news uh, local news stations, all that stuff. And uh, we used to say, if it bleeds, it leads. And that's something mm. that is very known. Everybody knows it. So you have a bad story that is bad and a good story that is a feel-good story. You're going to put the bad one because that's what leads always. You know what? My, my uncle, uh, my uncle Larry, uh, I hope that he listens or watches. Um, he was a very successful uh, clothier or apparel, you know, uh -huh. apparel companies. He worked for... Pepe Jeans London. Okay. He had his own store, Renegade Jeanswear in, in Texas. He had a few a few different stores and uh he also was uh he also helped launch Jordash when it was at its oh, height. Yeah. And so he was a national marketing and sales director. He said people respond to two things, pain and pleasure. Mm -hmm. But lately there's so much more pain than there is pleasure that they're just mm -hmm. they're just pouncing on on it. And uh, and then it just it turns into these viral hate uh, almost like online protests is what social media has turned into. It's, right. it's not, it's not even fun. And even my own kids ranging from, uh, four to 14, I'm not the four year olds, not on social media, but my 14 and 13 year old are like, wow, I saw this really bad thing happen mm -hmm. on TikTok," And I'm like, Oh, don't watch that. Don't watch that. <laughs> and it's just like, you can't even control as a parent. You can't even do the controlling of how much pain your children are witnessing. Uh, and they were showing me, the the LA the the recent LA riots where they just mm -hmm. bashed all the police vehicles right. and stuff like that and I'm like oh I don't want to see that and I sincerely don't want my children seeing that either right and 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 you know I'm old enough to remember obviously life without social media and without 24 new 24 hour news and all the stuff and back in the days you know they were bad. I mean we through wars and all the stuff you listen to the news and then you move on with your life. But now it's like constant stuff. I mean, social media is everywhere. So to answer your question, I scan the papers in the morning or in the evening, and then I go on with my life. I never, ever watch any news on TV, especially in the U.S. Which I don't care if it's CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, whatever. I know the affiliation of each of each one, sure. and, and they are so biased mm -hmm. into this political side or that political side or whatever that I don't need them to brainwash me with their political affiliation, especially when I see people there that are less smart than I am, to be honest, sure. and telling me how I'm supposed to be feeling about shit that I can understand myself. You know, so I don't watch any TV news. 
but social media i do very very little i mean i'm like you facebook is like out of the question for me i mean you see something from me on facebook it's usually that i put something on maybe instagram and it goes automatically on facebook because i have these kind of linked uh, accounts um, but i do a little bit of twitter i'm not when i do twitter it's more for selected groups of things like uh maybe uh, auto racing or things like that. People that I follow in a particular field, not so much, or, or business people like entrepreneurs that I also follow, you know, to see their ideas and all that stuff. Basically the same people that I listen on podcasts that I think they're smart enough to separate fact from fiction. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and those are the guys that I also follow on Twitter, but I don't, I, I mean, my social media is like I said, it's touch and go. I mean, I go in the morning, check uh, a couple of things, maybe Instagram because I like pictures on I mean, my Instagram is very, Vanilla. I mean, I follow people that have cool stuff. Sure. You know, well, there is cool cars or cool videos or cool things, but it's not really political or stuff. Yeah. And same for me. Like in the yeah. morning when I, you know, I'm a breakfast person. That's kind of like Monday through Friday. It's breakfast. It's daily devotional. I, I look at scripture. I read the right. Bible and, I, and I've got my little, my, my scripture rhythm. Every, every day I've got something, a uh, daily devotional to look at, or sometimes it's a spiritual podcast or something that I'll listen to while I'm driving or dropping my son off at daycare or whatever. And, um, years ago, it used to be Washington Post. That was like my main go-to. Yeah, it was for the most part center aligned, and uh, I feel like they're leaning left ever since Bezos bought it. And yeah, I don't know. And that's exactly the. I case. don't know his political background, nor do I give a shit. But my point is, when he purchased that, because it, it is Washington Post, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, so I feel like when I look at it, or if I even try to look at it, it it feel I feel like it's just leaning left, and so I don't want to. I, I kind of want to stay neutralized. And so lately I'd say this last year or so I'm, I'm at least the last seven months, wall street journal for me personally, it's, I feel like they're, they're center yeah, aligned and they're just kind of spitting uh, out the facts. Even, yeah, and that's the, what I'm looking at it for. The New York times has become totally, uh, I, I lost credibility in the New York times a long time ago. Uh, Washington Post is the same. I actually lived in the Washington DC area for almost seven years. And I used to be subscribed getting every day back in the days when you actually read the Washington Post. And and do I, you agree with me? It's, it's changed over the last? Yes, it has a lot. And it started already changing. I think obviously when Bezos bought it, um, I think mean, it's just, uh, if Bezos and Trump don't get along, then you're going to see that reflection on Washington Post and, and that's how it is. So it's just uh, like like the thing is that newspapers you have used to have or, or news for that matter used to have the news the way it is just tell me what happened and then you have the editorial or the op-eds or whatever you call it where you follow a columnist or a person that writes and you know that person has a certain orientation and then they have they're going to give you their opinion on something and then on the other side of the page you have the op opposite opinion from the other person mm -hmm. and then but that's op-ed that's opinion it's editorial okay saying i'm going to give you my idea or what trump is doing right or whatever situation but it is it's all opinionated but now. now there's no division between the news and the editorial now the news headlines are already opinionated yes i agree uh, and that's the problem with you and that's because, why i don't look at the news right, anymore and i because, don't watch because the news. they they rely on subscribers and and there's um, and obviously all the print circulation is dead nobody reads a printed newspaper anymore so everything is online and the way they get the advertisers now and that's because it's my business the way they get the advertisers is by click clicks on the ads and click through rates and so forth so they don't have a headline that makes you click and they can prove to the advertisers hey we have 10, 10 million impressions per month or whatever number and so many click-throughs if they give you a headline when they say blah 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 and the headline tells you the story then you don't click right and if you they, would know that because you're in digital media right, you have your own digital right. media agency and then your background is in journalism right exactly and I, only to just shift and segue into something there's a reason why they call it clickbait 
Yeah. It's clickbait for a reason. I mean, you were a fish, you would bait. Um, but wasn't your college the, the so I'm I'm totally switching lanes. Now, yeah, that's fine. But uh, let's steer let's steer the race car from uh, from COVID Chronicles to. Uh, so tell me about Blair Witch Project and how you are part of Blair Witch Project before oh, wow. it became the production. I wasn't really a part of the actual movie, but I went to school back in Maryland, Montgomery College, with the director. And uh, I'm basically part of the crew that ended up making the movie. So uh, this is back in um, 80s, between 87 and 89. So we were all, um, well, back then was called film and TV uh, production, basically, in Montgomery College. It's a community college in Maryland. It's, it's very upscale in Montgomery County. So we're all in college, and we're all doing television production and film and video and all that stuff. And we all were like directors wannabes. I mean, we were up when, when Spielberg and George Lucas and all that stuff were like the top directors. And we, we so um, I was lucky. I, I had just moved from Spain, actually, and I went to college there. And uh, I was super lucky that I was surrounded by a group of young kids. I was older because I already went to college in Spain. So when I went to college in the U.S., I was already like 22, I think. And these kids were like 18, 19, you know, they were more out of high school here. So, and you know, but in the in the film and video production class, we we were pretty good buddies, and we were like all different ethnic background stuff. It was it was very nice. Um, so, we had these projects at school where we were kind of you know doing commercials and doing things, just like mock up things, you know. So, uh, one of the uh, one of my friends, which was Ed Sanchez, the guy that ended up directing the movie, had this script that he wrote and um so which was the basically the Blair Witch project so when we were there one of the projects that we did was create a preview like a trailer for the movie that we had not even made or thought or sure, anything sure. so so we were already kind of going through the woods in in Montgomery County Maryland and all that stuff just kind of thinking and, and I've been running and doing like this trailer for something that didn't even exist yet and we were videotaping with camcorders that were like this big with oh, VHS sure. yeah, 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 and all yeah. that shit and just boom, 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 from the birth of the wood in Montgomery County you know just doing all that stuff and uh and it was pretty cool but then after that I uh, graduated and I started working for a real production company in, in Washington, D.C. That's when I was basically in news and all that stuff. And uh, that's where I did a lot of government contracts too because sure. um, that is, reminds me of what you're doing with Taylor with your consulting company. Um, I was doing a lot of video and film production for, it was um, a Hispanic market agency back then because I was obviously bilingual. I could work with them and then we had a lot of government contracts and stuff. So anyways, I got a real job and then when these guys ended up like a year later gathering just enough money to do this very very low budget movie i already was living my own life you know and and then um i basically said no i can't i can't do the movie because otherwise i'll lose the job that i've been trying to so hard to get <laughs> i was working and it's just because of when it came out and when it was produced and when it was marketed yeah at least here in america that um i was working as a courtesy clerk at well actually I was at Bash's just down the road. Oh, really? Okay. But then I was actually at Fry's yeah. just over here as well. Yeah. And uh, I was a courtesy clerk pushing carts, stocking shelves, and doing the stuff like that. And I remember like they, uh, people, this is, this is when VHS was yeah. still popular, mm -hmm. like you're yeah. describing. Yeah. So uh, they would have somebody, they meaning a production company would hire uh, a marketing company or someone to set up the displays yes. of all the movies. Yeah. Yeah. And so Blair Witch had its own little display. And yeah. 
uh, I ended up buying a VHS. Yeah, it was a went big, home and watched it, and I was like, it was it a is, big hit. And I remember when um, um, I I think when it came out, I had already moved out to Arizona, um, and that's another reason why I couldn't even be part of the opening or anything because I moved here in '93. I don't know exactly when the movie came out, but uh, I moved here in in October '93. And uh, so I, I kept in touch with them, but this is, again, this is before social media and everything else, so right. it was not that easy to to be in touch with people, even even with, you know, cell phones or things like sure, that. So, um, so, but they had, the, the school had this newsletter that they, somehow they tracked me down and they they basically started sending it to me and then we started being in touch with each other and then I found it on Facebook and we started talking all the stuff and then the rest of the group. And uh, so anyways, I... Um, you know, when I saw the movie, I was like, "Oh fuck, I couldn't be part of this thing." But at the same time, I'm I'm a no regrets type person. Right. So I. Well, yeah, um, drones. Yeah, drone stuff going on. Yeah. It's just cool. To, it's it's cool that you were a part of something yeah. that became. Yeah. No, it's cool that that you know you go to school with. And remember, I was just new in the U.S. to begin with. So I'm I'm surrounded. I'm, you know, I, I when I went to Spain to to broadcasting and and journalism and film and video, basically major. Uh, the, the college, the university I was in have very limited amount of uh, equipment. So for us to actually be able to, we were learning all this theory and this and that and boring shit, but uh, for us to touch a camera was very difficult because mm-hmm. there were so few. So you had to kind of like one a semester, you had a chance to do some video or something. Here was the opposite. Here we, we were all days in the studio doing television shows and these pretending to be big shots, but now we were at, just doing ourselves. Now at that time, when you're in your early 20s, had you already had a passion for race cars or did that come later? Well, um, I had a passion for cars on racing. Look, as this far is your podcast. I'm asking the I questions. Know, no, 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 no. You like hey, no you're my, <laughs> you're my uh, co-host. Um, no, I, I always had a passion for cars and racing because uh, this, this goes back to, I don't know, since I was very little and I was, my dad actually let me drive uh, when I was like, I don't even remember, but I remember the place and I know that I was like 10, 11, 12 when I was on his lap steering a real car, you know, because there was another, he was, he was shifting and this is, manual transmission stuff and I couldn't reach the pedal so he'll I would just steer and then he'll basically do the shifting and everything I think as, as soon as I could I was already driving but um, my, my passion for racing didn't really start until my economic situation improved because I couldn't afford it so I did a lot of uh, some go-kart racing before or not racing but just practicing and then um, I really didn't start racing more seriously until I moved to Arizona on 93, 94, I bought, that's why I asked you when you said your, uh, it was your DPS. Uh, oh yeah, my dad. Patrol, because I bought a Mustang that was a DPS patrol car. Did it have a Corvette engine? No. Okay, so my f- dad had a five, my dad was an Arizona Highway Patrolman for 20 years. When he first started out, I don't know how, because he was, he was like a, he was a rookie cop. Yeah. And I don't know how or why, but they gave him a 5.0 Mustang with a Corvette engine, and really? that bad boy was awesome. He took me and my brother on ride-alongs, I, uh, and he'd be like, hey, watch this. Right before I moved to Arizona, I actually bought a 5.0 Mustang patrol car, but it wasn't from Arizona. It was actually from Florida. So they were selling those at an auction, and they, back then, the rule was that, um, I forgot what it was, if the car had like 80,000 miles or three years, they would just get rid of them, sell them. So this one had a very low mileage because apparently the patrol person that was assigned to this car has some kind of, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it was an accident or some kind of medical condition. So he was out, but the car was already three years old. So they sold it and I, and I bought it at a police auction. And then 
I didn't do anything to it. I remember driving in Washington with a black Mustang with a spotlight and everything and going on the freeway there, everybody would pull over. The little spotlight <laughs> on the side, like where the side, yeah, side yeah, where is. the handle and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was a, I mean, it was a civilian car, but it was painted all black spotlight and in Washington, which is a lot of, you know, secret service, CIA, FBI, whatever. Every time I was on the freeway, everybody, it was like parting water. Everybody was just getting out of my way. It was great. Because they so, thought you were real. They thought I was a cop or yeah, yeah, FBI yeah. or something. So so I was... <laughs> Not only that, everybody was slowing down. I was like... <laughs> like Look, I was a little bit of a rebellious wild card when I was in like high school, okay? And so I had a couple of friends come over in high school. I was probably a freshman in high school. And I'm not trying. I'm not trying to get my dad in trouble. He's he's since retired. So yeah, um, my dad went to a uh, like a banquet dinner for like a work related event or something. Yeah. So my older brother Aaron was supposed to quote unquote babysit me. Yeah, and so he my brother was cool. He's like, hey, if you if you have a few friends come over, or whatever, just don't wreck the house and you know just be on your p's and q's kind of a thing. Uh-huh. And uh, my brother even said like, and look, we're teenagers. My brother's like, I'm going to have a couple of beers. You guys can have a couple of beers too, but just keep it on the DL. I'm like, okay, no problem. Well, I ended up, my, da- my dad's 5.0 Mustang was mm-hmm. sitting in the driveway. Yeah. And he always hid the keys, but I knew where he some yeah. relatively stashed the keys. And so I ended up finding it. And I ended up turning on the sirens and the, that, oh. that, <laughs> that spotlight that yeah. you're describing. Yeah. And uh, my neighbor ratted me out now it wasn't like my friend the neighbor but it was my friend oh yeah yeah the parents parents, that were supposed to be kind of watching my brother and i and we didn't know that they were like like hawks and watching us all night yeah so when i did that i thought i did it quietly i put the keys right back where i found them and it was only like five minutes it wasn't like we were in there for five hours yeah when my dad came home oh yeah i was trying to pretend like i was asleep (laughs) i was like (laughs) my dad ripped the covers off me put picked me up (laughs) With his bare hands, picked me up at eye level and started shaking me. Do you understand? I can lose my job. Do you understand how big of a deal? I was like, oh, man. So if you're listening or watching, don't play with a cop car if it's not yours. Yeah. No, this was was my first car. And I actually had a 2.3, the the smaller engine model. And uh, when I got this one, I was like, holy shit, this thing has so much torque. And I was (laughs) like, so anyways, I didn't touch the car for a while. What did you do with it? Well, I didn't do anything when I was in Virginia. I was just driving it. And then uh, when I moved to Arizona um, is when I started kind of, uh, because Bondurant, the school is right here, right next to us. And back then, the school was using Mustangs for their race cars, for their school uh, cars. And Bondurant is a high-performance driving school that, you know, obviously named after Bob Bondurant, who started famous racers. So anyways, they they had a school of high-performance driving, and they were using Ford cars the mustangs for the race cars and then they had like four taros or something for destructors or something and then they had the formula cars too so anyways I, I i became friends with a guy that was a mechanic at the school and then after hours we'll just tinker with cars and so and because he knew everything about mustangs all the tricks and stuff because awesome. they were using him at the track so i i basically started doing you know like any other mechanic just moving things and trying to make it fast and trying to change the suspension and change this and do this on the engine and, and then just one thing led to the next then at the end of the day the car became a full-blown race car i had to take it off the street it was illegal to drive in the streets anymore and i have pictures in the garage i'll show it to you later but uh, i raced that car for a while until basically 
just uh, I sold it. I mean, I wanted to move out to another class or something, and uh, and I sold it. But yeah, that's how I started racing. It was probably like ninety four, ninety five. So did you ever professionally race, or is it more like a hobby, like an individual? Uh, well, hobby? it's 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 a semi pro. I mean, I I um I was much more involved in racing. Like, did you ever have sponsors or anything? Yeah, like? I, I did. Yeah, oh, cool. I know. When I when I uh, when I started racing, uh, it was never a full. What I I basically became the owner of a of a racing group that it was called ASC or American Stock Car Challenge, and and that was my semi professional. We had sponsors, uh, we had a full series that were racing in the Southwest, always road courses. We we're going to all the major tracks in the Southwest, sure. basically Laguna Seca, Infineon, or Sears Point, California Speedway, uh, Miller Motorsports in the Vegas, and obviously in Arizona back at PIR when it was open for road courses. I mean, we were in all over the place, and uh, but that was until like two thousand six, seven, maybe eight. And then I became so busy at work that it was so hard for me to just do both. You do you know? know a guy named, and this is just a, uh, one of my Los Angeles buddies. His name's Troy Hansen. He's worth a company called World Media LA, but he, uh, he was a racer. Pretty sure of it. He might still do it. Maybe. Um, I, I run into so many people. My buddy Jason Weiss, he's the, uh, yeah. he's the CEO yeah. of, uh, of Phoenix Pumps. He has a couple of, uh, mm-hmm. he has a few cars actually, and he yeah. loves doing that as well, going to the tracks and ra- you know, right. racing. So now now I race more at select events, and we go a lot of uh, uh, private events too, and then I do a lot of um, VIP uh, private uh, rides, like for example, you and I were talking about uh, going to go to a racetrack and giving you a ride. Yeah, you've so been talking to me about this for a year. When, when, I, well, when are you I mean, going to let me buckle up and uh, go? Uh, we were actually ready to do it this year. Unfortunately, all the tracks were closed because of the COVID, and I couldn't. I mean, the the only things that I've done this year is. Um, before anything happened in January or February, I went to um, California and I had an event over there with a bunch of Porsche people at uh, Button Willow, which is a racetrack in, um, near Bakersfield. And then um, we went down to uh, Tucson on a private rental thing to test the car. And then now in the summer, my, my car is now being, uh, the engine is being rebuilt. But no, as soon as everything comes back to normal, um, I definitely want to uh, want to do that. I mean, I That'd be awesome. I um, I want to, um, but that's that's one thing that I like now. I mean, I've raced so much and all that stuff, and I do still do go kart and karting every pretty much every week, and I haven't done much so much in the summer. But um, I do like to stay in shape with karting, which is super super intense. What's the fastest you've gone, and have you ever crashed in a go kart or in a car? Either. Well, in a go kart, the fastest I've gone is 105 miles per hour. Jeez. And there's no body. That no, holds no, no, no. The so go kart is different. Flip, I mean, I have a lot of videos on YouTube. The go kart, you are it's a shifter. Obviously, it's a race go kart with six speed, uh, manual transmission, no clutch. So know. if you flip, I mean, your body's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't even have a belt or anything. So on purpose, I mean, you you have a full gear and everything, helmets and, and collars and everything. But uh, if you uh, flip in a go kart or you have an accident, you are supposedly you want to it's like a motorcycle you want to be separated from your vehicle so you you fly on one end and you let the go-kart do the thing on its own end so it's like a motorcycle racing when you see moro gp or any of those guys they slide and then the bike starts flipping and the the guys are kind of sliding away so even though i remember you showed me a video of when you i want to say about a year or two ago yeah but you showed me a video where you you hit the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You try to, yeah, when you're going head on into something, you don't want to hit head on. So you try to kind of, you, you try to scrub off almost as like, much Almost speed. like fishtail right. into you the try, side you, of the wall. You, or you flip the, you do something. So you flip the cart, go sideways, and then you don't hit head on, and then you scrub off even more speed. And in a car, what's uh, the fastest you've gone? Uh, about 200, depending on the track. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. 
But I mean, it's, it's sometimes, I mean, everybody's, that's a typical question I get all the time, like how fast do you go? How fast is the car? And sometimes you can go 200 miles an hour in some racetracks and it feels like nothing. I mean, it feels like, now in others you can go 120 and and you feel like your balls are here. <laughs> yeah. so it, it depends, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're, like I remember, California Speedway is the is the long oval track. It's a two mile oval, and we never do the oval when we do road courses. We do like the infield, and then we come back to the oval. But when you come back to the oval, you come what is what they call NASCAR turn four into the front straight, which is actually a little bit of a curve, and then turn one and two, and then you break hard into the infield. Well, you can go there um, 180 miles an hour through the through the thing, and That's I'm crazy. and I'm there driving. And that's what I used to do anything that is not driving related. I mean, I remember sometimes, one time it was in the rain. Obviously, it wasn't going that fast in the rain, but it was raining and my, my windshield was getting like a little fogged up and everything. I couldn't see very clear. So I'm literally driving and I'm trying to wipe off with one hand with my gloves. Some, as you're going. As I'm going, 100 and whatever. That's crazy. You know, and then or talking on the radio or I'm checking this or that because you're just basically wide open throttle with the foot on the floor and just keeping the, the steering if you had to steer a little bit. But... Uh, but you know you it's not so busy you know you are and then when you get to the corner yeah you're fighting the the the, the car you know but um in some other cases you can go slower but it's like like uh coda the circuit of the americas in austin is is a very very uh rewarding track for the driver i mean it's like a roller coaster you go up and down and s's and you're working the wheel all the time mm -hmm. and and you don't go that fast but you feel the car on the edge all the time so it, it just depends i mean speed is one thing i mean you can go drag racing at you know, 150 miles an hour, it's like, bam, 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 that's it. Man, when you're cornered, breaking, downshifting, all that shit, it's just, it's just different. You know? I remember I was at uh, Dallas Motor Speedway. It had to have been at least seven years ago at this point, but um, it was a, it was a wounded warrior, you know, a veteran event uh, that a buddy of mine, Dana Bowman, threw out for a bunch of, uh, you know, his foundation. I think it's, uh, yeah, right out of Dallas Motor Speedway, and they were, uh, they had like a plane, that was allowing guys to parachute oh, into yeah. the middle of the speedway while right. the track had race cars going around with veterans in them as well. And so the, the driver of the Navy car yeah. basically said, come on. Oh, yeah, the stock so car. I put, on, yeah, I put on the suit, yeah. put on the helmet. We go in there, and it kind of gave me this spiel like, hey, yeah. keep your hands on your, you know. Right, right. You know, if you got to hold on, hold on to the side. You know, yeah. you got this. And he said, uh, he actually said, if you want me to slow down or if you're yeah. panicking, mm -hmm. slap my chest and I'll know to slow yeah. down or, or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I said, okay, cool. He says, I'm going to smack your chest when we hit 200. He goes, we're only supposed to be going about 180. Yeah. He goes, but I'm going to try to take you uh, to 200. Yeah. So as soon as we got to 200, he smacked my chest. And he goes, how are you feeling, buddy? And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. And just like you described, it felt like my nuts were coming out of my throat. The adrenaline well, was I mean, just I, nuts. If I were a passenger, I would be freaking out much more than if I'm driving. Like, you're not in control. That's the thing. To me... Um, I, you know, I, I I know it sounds cliche, but sometimes you feel more more uh, more danger driving on the freeways. We were inches in front of the, yeah. or inches behind the car in front of us, yeah. and they were driving so yeah. quick. Right, I'm like, like I think we did three or four laps total, and on the third or fourth lap is when we went 200 because all the right. cars just kind of. Yeah. broke off mm -hmm. and then started doing their own thing and when he did that he smacked my chest he goes how are you feeling buddy and i'm like oh fuck. <laughs> i know and, and and on a race we you can go as i said you can go like with a, a cloud of other cars around you whether you're leading or in the middle of sure. the pack at 160 180 and 
we're all moving like one swift little move yeah it's like and it screws the whole pattern yeah i mean all it takes as long as everybody's moving in the right direction you feel like and what do they call that when like you've got like four multiple like drafting is that what it's called yeah it's called drafting when you when there's multiple cars going around a corner following following each other oh man that's like well but that's that's when you try especially for stock cars like nascar stuff they do a lot of drafting like that because they 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 obviously go faster the first car is is punching the hole in the air you know it's basically breaking the air and then the other ones are taking advantage of the uh the cleaner you know like not cleaner but basically the the vacuum that your car is generating so when we were going around the track just as a single car the adrenaline was awesome and yeah. intense, but not right. quite as intense as it is when there's like inch, a car inches in front of you. Right. And if one swift move, you're done. Right. So you, you have to rely on, on um, you know, what the other guys are doing too. And then uh, obviously the, the, yeah. the steering uh, placement. Yeah, the car, obviously it. the mechanical part of the car. But uh, in, in road courses, which is mostly what we do, uh, ovals is a little more consistent and continuous. And, and the car setup is made so the car naturally turns left. Um, and um, in road courses, obviously, the cars are symmetrical. What they call a perimeter chassis or basically a car that is made to turn right or left. I mean, everything is symmetrical. And then you're going... And the main thing is the, the most impressive thing that people feel when they drive as a, as a passenger, like sure. you will see with my car, is the braking. You will see a corner. You will see that we're going like maybe, high, you know, whatever, 140, 150. And then you see a corner coming, and you normally in a normal car will brake like way before just to make make the corner. What but with a race car with good brakes, you can brake so deep and late that your eyeballs just come out. I mean, it's like when you are strapped with your chest, and the driver doesn't feel it so much because you are holding onto a steering wheel. But when you're a passenger, you feel your whole. You, you can have like three or four negative G forces moving forward because you are braking so hard. So uh, that's the thing that impresses the most uh, usually when people, that and the G-forces because the car grips a lot. You know, like when you watch like a fancy or a luxury car commercial, um, it's like they're in the countryside. They're probably somewhere internationally. And it's like... Sometimes they go up to the Grand Canyon, Sedona and all these areas. And they've got the entire highway blocked off for the commercial so that they can do Mm -hmm. that. Like what would that, what would that career title be like what, what is that person's job i've done that are they a um, test driver yeah you become i've done that actually I've done and then the blonde cars. what's the blonde's name she has uh all the luxury cars like lamborghinis ferraris and all these awesome uh bentley's and yeah rolls royce but it's all like the most futuristic cars and she has access to all of these do you know who i'm talking about yeah yeah i can't I know. remember her name she but yeah the word well, she's a, is in her title is, is that a youtuber related i think so and i think yeah, she's yeah. australian or yeah yeah she does uh i mean there's a bunch of people that do that stuff what a cool I mean, job. I, those are the ones that i usually look at uh youtube or night uh, they they basically have i forget the girl's name but you know vlogs and they they do that stuff i mean she kind of shows up but they don't do a lot of heavy driving but when you see the commercials that you're talking about and i've done a few of those um on the on the filming side not on the driving side I see. But, okay but um, you, you basically, the, the procedure is, is actually pretty simple. Um, in this case, we actually did a few commercials for Mercedes when they came out with their SUV and some other cars. And um, you go, we went in this case to um, like Sedona area there. And uh, we blocked off, um, it was actually between Sedona and Jerome. And so we blocked off a certain of the freeway or the highway there. No, it's not a highway. It was a, a curvy, you know. Uh, the, the road that leads to Jerome? State route, yeah. It has like 60 turns yeah, or 80 exactly, turns or something exactly. like that. Exactly, very scenery. So you call the DPS, the, 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 basically the 
highway patrol here and you say you get a phone, you get a permit, you pay for the permit and all that stuff and they block the road uh, for you to do that stuff. And then we get a professional driver, which in, in our case, we got an instructor from uh, Bondurant to be the driver. And then mm-hmm. he, he's not doing anything special. He's just basically driving up and down and then we have another car that is following the cameras hanging from everywhere so we get low angles and high angles awesome. and then inside So it's the, the same thing for movie production. I mean, they would yeah. have to get a permit. Obviously, yeah, it's the same thing. You get a permit and do that stuff. Um, with movie production, you can get very sophisticated you can have obviously you do multiple takes sometimes you have the camera mounted on the hood and then you're taking the view of the driver as sure, he's driving for B-roll you, and all that and other stuff now you get drones and everything that are flying next to the car uh, you know uh, on the top uh, and obviously you have a chase scene or something with you know what cars crashing all the stuff then it becomes incredibly complicated and uh, they block off areas and all that stuff I mean of cities but uh, yeah that's the mostly the sophistication I mean I, when I was watching um, uh, Ford versus Ferrari that movie that came I never got to see that oh you got it's actually on video I think now um, or somewhere I've seen it like on maybe it's Apple I mean you can rent it or something on TV uh, it was good I mean it's funny because I that's when Ford and Ferrari had this rivalry in Le Mans the race which by the way is this weekend and uh that's the 24 hours, the most famous endurance race in the world, basically, where all the brands of the marquees go there to see who has the best car. And obviously, Ford and Ferrari back in the 60s were the two, the Americans versus the Italians, and the Ferrari had never lost and all that stuff, and Ford had never won at Le Mans. And uh, so the story is about Ford basically deciding we're going to go to Le Mans and, and win that race, and it's the whole story. But the mm. point is that when they were filming the movie, they did a lot of the training and the filming in uh, in uh, at Willow Springs racetrack in California, which I've been there tons of times. It's a nice track. I mean, it used to be very nice back then. Now it's a little outdated, but I still it's a very fast track. And uh, so they did a lot of stuff there. And um, so yeah, it's a, it's a good movie. It basically relates the story of how um, you know Ken Brock and 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 Ford went to fight with Ferrari, and then they ended up winning Le Mans uh, and Ferrari. Back then, Enzo Ferrari was totally pissed off. The, the, oh, I'm the sure. chairman of Ferrari saying, "Oh fuck, we got we got beat in our own territory," you know. But um, yeah, I know racing is fun. Speaking of cars, what what is your uh, your dream car? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, so uh, I would have to say Lamborghinis. Lamborghinis. It's just like whenever I see it, I'm just like, "Oh man, those are really? so cool." The suicide doors yeah. and just you know how fast they can go and. Uh, just the luxury of it you know ferraris are cool too and porsches are cool i mean there's a lot of cool cars out there but i think if i was to get one i would probably have to cut you know if i had the money of course because yeah. it's like what 250 well there's all, all kinds of price ranges i mean you can find lamborghinis for 200 to 50 or you can find it for a million or more or more it's just crazy um, well i'd probably go for the 250 version yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if i if i could afford it right but I think just getting like a black and black, black on yeah. black Lamborghini would be awesome. Or I need to take you to my friend uh, Borham uh, Motorsports, my friend that, that actually works on my car too. He only works on exotics, and um, in fact, I, I have a picture on Instagram of uh, him working on a Lamborghini. I think the customer, his customer, paid like fifteen thousand dollars or something just for an exhaust oh yeah it's just absolutely it came the the thing was custom made like formula one technology the sound was wicked i mean really you had to plug your ears because he was like and uh it comes in a briefcase like it looks like you're i don't know you're moving arms or something or arms dealer and you open it's like pipes titanium all that stuff 
and uh, oh, it was it was beautiful. And uh, so I went there. I was there for something else, but I saw the car, took some pictures, and then he had to start it up, and then just pull it out of the shop. And that sound was just incredible. I mean, the sauce, he was like, wow, wow, wow. Oh, I mean, yeah. Things. I, That's one thing. I mean, I, I love technology, and I, I really like the electric cars, what they're doing now. Obviously, the Teslas and every other company that is coming with great uh, uh, electric cars that are, are very good looking, too. I like the, the Porsche Taycan, the new one that they just came. But the sound is something that I, I need to they need to do something because, to me, the sound of a V12, V10, uh, 14,000 RPM engine, you know, I mean, that's something that, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm more old school, but uh, you cannot replace that. You sure. Know? I don't know enough about cars like you do, but um, I was always interested to learn about your background yeah. on, on how you got into it. And To me, I cool. mean, I uh, I mean, I always like cars like every little kid, you know, playing, I still have little toys and stuff everywhere, but, uh, but the thing that I, I learned the most is I like to see how things work and, when I liked cars, I didn't know anything mechanically about cars. Like, I couldn't tell. I mean, you show me a part, I couldn't tell what it was. I mean, I couldn't modify my car or anything. But somehow, I had this ability to learn mechanical stuff fairly easily. Like, it's not like a drag for me or anything. So, I started reading a lot of books. A lot of the books that you see down there are all car books and stuff uh, back on the other side. And uh, so, I started learning about mechanics and aerodynamics and this and that, and then working on my cars. And, and right now, Every time I get another car, it's, it's like a, like when I got the Porsche that I'm racing now, I knew nothing about German engineering or Porsches sure. or anything like that. The Mustang, I basically knew nothing, and then I knew everything. I totally rebuilt that car myself. I could put it together with my eyes closed. With the Porsche, it was the same thing. I used rear engine, German, this. I didn't know much about it. And then I started working on it, and uh, now I'm basically super familiar with the, with the car too. I mean, right now I'm replacing the roof um, of the car, you know, so I can do pretty much anything. When I started karting, it's the same thing. I knew nothing about go-karts and how they work. It's a completely different thing. I mean, there's no suspension and stuff. And now I can I can basically just tune my own cart. My wife said, anything. when you go with Manuel, be sh- I want you to be safe. I want you to wear a helmet. I want you to yeah. buckle up. And she was very like, I, I, I tell me before you go, I want to make sure I pray for you. I'm like, yeah. just let me have some fun. I know. Just let me go have no, fun. We'll definitely, no, we'll definitely. I I, um, I like to give rights to people because that's something that I like to share. I mean, what yeah, I do Yeah, it's an experience. It's, yeah. yeah, it's part of what I do, you know. And uh, But I also, I'm very concerned about safety. So I definitely, um, uh, if we go to a track, obviously we need to both wear helmets on oh, the, the safety course. is the same for the driver or the passenger but also when you drive with a passenger you don't you don't go 100 percent. you know it'd be cool i have a little gopro camera now this sounds bizarre because it really is a b- bizarre marketing yeah is uh, a couple years ago i bought a bottle of cologne yeah and it came with a free gopro i know oh, that's really? a weird partnership and it's well, a weird marketing yeah 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 campaign but but i have a gopro i've never used it and i think it'd be fun to, I don't know how, but attach it to like the helmet or something. Oh, you, so you can watch. Time. So I can watch my reactions. Yeah. Going oh, yeah. When you see these videos, they when they do these videos on YouTube or anything. I mean, I my car, my race car has one, two, three, four cameras. Right. And I you have, showed me one the other day, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah, I have four. I have one facing me, one facing forward from the from the windshield view, from the rear view mirror, but facing forward. And then I have one other one that is over the shoulder. Have you ever put one underneath? I put one for the pedals too. Oh, you have? Yeah. I, I have one that faces backwards. And I actually, my rear view mirror, I have really, I don't even use it. I have like a camera with a TV that shows me what's going on behind uh, with a little monitor. And then, uh, and then I have one that I use sometimes for, for the pedals so I can see my footwork. 
because I, I, um, I like to study the film, so to speak. And, you know, it's funny how sometimes you feel like you're doing something, but then when you come back and you review the film or the video, uh, you say, oh, shoot. Well, that. because it's a high speed. So it's nice to probably be able to right. reflect a bit on right. what, what so, you just so, experienced. So you study, like, like I say, okay, this corner... Um, I could have been like three feet closer to the right. I'm always drifting out or it's under steering. Maybe I need to take this over line or something. And then your memory shows you that you, or tells you that you kind of did it the way you wanted. But then when you look at the camera, it's like, or the video, it's like, oh shoot, I still had like three feet on that right. You know, I was like, going to ask too, is for me personally, um, you know, just, just being a high powered entrepreneur and just always on the go, 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 go. One thing that I always like found uh, decompressing for mm -hmm. me personally is driving, just driving, yeah. and, and, and just street driving, highway driving. There's something mm -hmm. about driving that's calming. Is it fair to say that when you're when you're on the track, that it's like to me, honestly, the rest of the world is, uh, it's is funny away mention from that you? because I was under so much when I started my my new company back in 2005. I was like 110 percent into the company. I mean, I was eating, breathing, sleeping, just trying to get the business going, and I was so ambitious and everything. But then I also had the race team, and I was with this other group. And um, the only time, I mean, literally, I could do, I could be watching a movie and thinking business. I could be doing whatever and thinking business. Right, it's right, like 24 right. seven, yeah. nonstop, all that shit. The only time that I will not think about business is when I'm actually driving the car, driving so the So it is car. an outlet for you. Yeah, and it still is that way. It's the only time, it's not even, it's so much that, it's not even when I'm working on the car or getting ready or whatever is driving the car. The moment I put my helmet on, the strap on and all that stuff, it's like every cubic inch of my brain and everything is into driving. Laser and I, focus. And I have a 100% focus. I wear my car. I feel my car. I Everything, you know. So it's the only time that I say, wow, this is like, it's like the best um stress reliever for me kind of like know. sex for me but yeah <laughs> i'm just joking sorry honey um but, hey, but no, no 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 that no, no. Too, I, I think everyone has multiple outlets and so for me you know i've, I've talked to you about you know my evening routine and i, right. I kind of cool my jets in certain ways but i've always been interested because uh like i said i have a few friends uh some of some are close that do this for a hobby like yourself mm -hmm. my buddy jason i know that he talks about it all the time that he's just yeah. like when i'm out there Nothing else matters. It's just me and, and, and my car. And, and that's the same thing. I mean, that's why I have the cars in the garage. And I like to, I'm so happy that I like to work on them and do my stuff. Like doing this COVID situation, you know, you and I usually uh, go out together and get together and do things after hours or hang out a little bit. All of a sudden that stopped. I mean, we couldn't go out and I feel I didn't feel like I was going to break the rules or whatever. So I spent a lot of time in the afternoon just at home and I would just go to the garage, work on my car or to the yard and do something. I'm always had to be busy fabricating or building something. And uh, I'm not the kind of guy that says, oh, well, it's over. I'm going to sit sure. down and watch TV or whatever. I'm my there. wife, my wife ended up taking kind of like a COVID trip. It was a family reunion for her, but like it was also an escape from homeschooling the kids right. and just getting out of the COVID right. crunch. And so she came back from that. She's like, oh my God, I'm so recharged. Why don't you go somewhere? Yeah. So I ended up going to, to Durango, uh, Uray, and Silverton, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Had a blast. But towards the end of my trip, the last morning of my trip, I'm like, I'm going to go horseback riding. Man, it was like, it was so like, I don't know. I haven't, I look, I'm 30, I just turned 39. And I think when I was probably nine years old, 30 years ago, yeah. I rode a horse. So it's been 30 years since I've done it. Yeah. Wow. But when I was out there, the, they say that there's that term horse blinders, you know, yeah, when yeah, you're yeah. like laser focused. And, but I had my horse blinders on, man. I didn't care about, 
No, it's anything. Just... It was so peaceful. My head was like laser focused on just riding the horse and I felt yeah. the horse. And yeah. every time he bent down, I was supposed to pull him back up. And they, they said the one that I had was the snacker. So he'd always oh, tug, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. but I was just like, I want to get more into that because yeah. it was so calming and relaxing. I'm you, like, you I've have got... to do something. Everybody needs to find something that kind of sure. takes you out of your routine, you know, your, your daily grinding, because we, as we started the podcast, we live in a place where we're constantly bombarded with bad news. Oh, it's yeah. like everybody's Pain. being negative. Everybody's, oh my God, this. And then if, if it's not that, you hear from friends that lost their job or do this. I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't hear of somebody that I know that was laid off or they were furloughed or this or that. And it's like, for God's sake, let's just, just be positive, you know? And um, so, yeah, you need to find something for your own mental health, you know, in the in the broad term of, 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 of the meaning of and that. And so for me, church yeah. too. Church is an yeah. outlet for me. But because of COVID, you know, churches are all online right now and virtual. And I'm like, that. what I don't like about that is that you're, you're, you're inclined to start clicking around and get sidetracked. And then what that does is it leads you down that rabbit hole, that, right. that downward path or that downward spiral, so to speak, where now you're looking at the news and you're looking at all the negativity right. on social media. And it's like, ah, so church for me, these last six, seven months wasn't a healthy outlet. Um, as, as much as I would have wanted it to be, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, I, th- God bless the churches for doing what they were doing with, um, you know, the online and the creative arts teams and all that. I mean, they were doing a great job and, going virtual for church, but and, for and me. The sc- on the schools, I mean, and you have four kids right. that are school age. I have I, one. I, I honestly don't know how families are doing it these days. Well, I mean, our, you obviously are an entrepreneur. You have your own schedule and you have a little more flexibility being able to drop off, pick up, stay home, whatever, you know, and, and, and your wife the same. But uh, I mean, there's I know families that are like, I don't know. I mean, they are like totally messed up because they're not used to having three, four kids at home. Or being forced to be or, yeah. compartmentalized and, with and everyone each, all at the same time yeah, for and, seven months straight. Yeah, <sighs> and each of them with a little computer to be online and all that stuff. It's just a whole different what, situation. What piss, and here we go, here we go back to the COVID chronicles, <laughs> is it's hard not to talk about it, right? I know, it's just hard. Because yeah. we'll, I hope we never experience this again. Anyways, another pet peeve, if you will, COVID pet peeve, is... Uh, I've got four kids, right? It, it goes, uh, Vance is four, Vivian's seven, Lacey's 13, and Madeline's 14. So you've got high school, middle school, uh, elementary school, and daycare. That's w- literally our breakdown mm-hmm. and will be for some time. So these kids had no playgrounds to go play on, no friends to go play with, no outdoor activities, nothing to do, especially in Phoenix because it was in the middle of the summer, mm-hmm. hundreds of degrees outside um, or uh, over 100 degrees. And then they're on their tablets or their phones or their computers all day long. Right. And then when the schools started mandating this uh, online schooling, now they're forced to be on a device that much more every day. And I'm like, oh my God, my kids were turning into little maniacs. Yeah. I love them to death. Sorry, guys. Yeah. I'm just saying. I know. No, it's, it's just As a whole, parent, I was like, uh, get even, off even your device. Even when you were trying to limit their online time or internet time or play time on computers, now it's like, oh, no, no, but this is different because now you're learning, you know, so... Anyways, uh, we've been talking for about a, over an hour now. I don't want to take a lot of your time today, but I definitely want to do this again. I think uh, I had a lot of other topics that we want to talk about, but we'll get to them next time. <laughs> well, I will say this. It's a little, uh, I'll, I'll plan to see. There's a lot of uh, really exciting business stuff that's in the works yeah, right now. I, so hopefully next time we can chat about no, it. No, definitely. And I, I also tell you that you yourself should have your own podcast too. And uh, we're going to discuss that. Did you guys hear that? 
Yes. It might be coming soon. Yes, yes. I hope so because I will be I will be excited to be your guest. But aside from that, I think you have a lot of stories to tell and a lot of good people that you know that would love to share the stories with you. And I think your podcast would be very successful. So I definitely recommend it. Well, I appreciate and, that. Uh, and I might and, uh, need you to mentor. Whatever you need, um, I will definitely be helping you. But I think it'll be a great thing. It's not a podcast. Not so much about getting like millions of downloads. I mean, if you touch one person each time. That's basically mission accomplished. And uh, I, I, when I started this one, it was more just to do exactly what we just did. I mean, two friends talking, and then if somebody gets motivated or, you know, excited or spends uh, listens to the first ten minutes, the last ten minutes, whatever, you know, that's good enough for me. I'm not trying to. We don't have sponsors. I'm not trying to get rich. I don't need to get rich. I just want to sure. share ideas with somebody. No, and it's know. cool. So I think I think definitely you you'll be successful and you will be touching a lot of lives. See, you have yours too because you have a lot of insights that you know. Uh, nobody can have you know so well I appreciate that and thanks again for having me anytime Anthony we'll do it again for sure and uh, for everybody else thank you for listening and uh, we'll be back next week thank you bye bye